0: Heavenly Father, that is what we sing. We sing that you're so good. Your goodness to us is so far overreaching. It's oftentimes beyond our expectations, and especially it's beyond what we deserve. So, Lord, remind us of your goodness again to us through your word this morning. May it speak powerfully to us. May it invite us to see you as our ultimate goodness. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I would imagine most of you have been in a situation before, probably lots of situations like this, where you've had to try something new. And usually when I think of trying something new in those situations in my life, they typically revolve around some type of food. And some of you are maybe cringing. If you think about that, you're remembering Those times where you were forced to do this as a little kid, where mom or dad would make you eat everything on your plate, even though you would rather avoid the cauliflower or that mystery-looking casserole. I mean, look at that poor young lady up there. She does not, that is not a good place to be. And yet, you've been there. I've been there before. And that was one of the house rules that I had growing up. You had to finish everything on your plate, and maybe then some, or you had to eat it for the next meal. So if this was dinner time, we're talking breakfast. And uh, so I learned very quickly that if I didn't like something on my plate, that I just needed to try to chew without swallow without chewing. I just tried to like think of something else and plug my nose and close my eyes and imagine it was something better because I knew that day old steamed broccoli was somehow worse than the first time around. And I'm sorry to broccoli lovers out. There's nothing personal. Just it's something that I'm working through. But when it comes to food, I would disagree with this statement, and maybe some of you share with this. I would disagree with the statement that you have to try something before you know you will like it or not. You heard someone say that? Maybe it was mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. You got to try it first to know if you like it. I, to- I think I disagree with that one, and I think, there's, I think there's some exceptions, obviously, to this rule. I think, for the most part, you or I could look at a particular dish or a meal and go, you know... I think this is going to be okay. I think this is going to taste good. Take a take a look at this picture, for example. Like, I mean, for the most part, I think if, if you are allowed to eat chocolate cake, I get that there's dietary things. That's very real. I'm not minimizing that at all. But if you are able to eat chocolate cake, you probably look at this picture and you go, yeah, this is going to taste good. I don't have to try it to know. I just know it's going to do that. And on the flip side, if you look at this picture, uh, this is a chili dog with like fruity pebble cereal on top of it. Now, <laughs> there were worse ones I could have found, believe me, but uh, we kept it pretty tame. But uh, if, if this is your snack of choice, I apologize, and, and this could be one of those exceptions that I mentioned earlier. I've been wrong before, and I will be wrong again, but I'm not so sure. You can look at that and go, I don't know if that's going to taste good, and I don't have to try it to have that confirmed. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our month-long series that we started last week calling Standing uh, on God's promises. And, and we're looking at God's word, we're studying His word, and, and one thing that should stand out in our study of it is that God makes a lot of promises. He makes a lot of them, they're all over the place. And, and David uh, in the Psalms writes about, Lord, you have promised all of these good things to your servants. So, what are some of these good things? And, and oftentimes, when, when we think of making promises, the first thing that comes to my mind is our inability, at least my inability, to keep promises when it comes to being a human being. All of us can think of those times where someone has made a promise to you and didn't exactly follow through on it. And unfortunately, all of us can think of times where you made a promise to somebody and just couldn't keep it for whatever reason. But God's promises to us are different than the ones we experience with each other. And we're reminded of three criteria to keep in mind as we're walking through these weeks. The first is that when God says something, when he promises something, he means it. He literally always keeps his promises. There is not a single promise that God has ever broken or walked back on and said, oh yeah, uh, never mind, I guess I couldn't come through on that one. That's a pretty good record. So we can take him at his word. The second thing is that we realize that When God's promises come to us, there is definitely a a reality of a now and a not yet. We receive the blessings of God's promises to us right here, right now. But we also know that there's a, a fuller and completer picture of that coming someday. And for example, last week we looked at the promise of rest. And God invites us to enter into the rest that he can give us today, right now, right here. We get to experience and enjoy that. But we also realize that this fuller, more complete rest is going to come when we're finally at home with him in heaven. Someday. And lastly, we're reminded that all of God's promises, every single one of them, find their fulfillment, their complete, perfect ending in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God's official stamp of approval. Jesus is God's greatest guarantee. And so we can trust what he says. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 1 where the Apostle Paul writes, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Notice the exclamation point. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So today we're looking at another promise of God, the promise of his goodness. And we're going to see that, what, that God's goodness really perfectly defines his character and it ultimately defines his motivating factor behind everything that he does. And God's goodness shows up all around us. And so we're invited to know and experience and live in it. And we'll see, as Scripture says in a moment, that God's word tells us, similarly to our favorite meal or a chocolate cake, that God's goodness also tastes good somehow. We're going to be reading from Psalm 34, just three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10 from Psalm 34. If I invite you to read this along with me if you have your Bibles, or the screen will have the words as well. Psalm 34, starting in verse 8, the psalmist writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. All right, so when it comes to the attributes of God, that's quite an extensive list. I mean, think about it. If you had to begin, if someone just handed you a blank sheet of paper and said, all right, write down all of the characteristics and the attributes of God, like how would you even know where to begin? And how would you know if you were done or had enough to even do it justice, right? God is a lot of things. Scripture gives us this pretty comprehensive list. It's very thorough. We read that God is loving, that God is just, that he is faithful, that he is kind, that he is righteous, that he is holy, that he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere present, and God is all of these things and more. But one of his main attributes, and it might be the characteristic that kind of quantifies most of what he is, is that God is good. Four letters, good. Now usually when you and I say something is good, that's maybe a neutral statement, right? Like it's not great, it's not bad, it's good. Think about that though, that God is good. It sounds so basic, it sounds kind of simple, and yet God's goodness dominates the scope of who he is and what he does. David echoes this in Psalm 34. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's all-encompassing. Again, in the Psalms, we read in Psalm 119, the author puts this summative statement together. He talks about the Lord. He says, you are good, and what you do is good. So teach me your decrees. Or in Psalm 107, we read this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So we can look at God's word, we can see example after example of God is good. And we know that God is extremely generous in displaying his goodness. It's all around us. It's given to us every day and God extends his goodness to everyone. That's an interesting piece to consider. That no one is exempt from receiving God's goodness. Jesus reminds the crowds of this in, in Matthew 5. He talks about that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good people. The sun rises for everyone. He sends his rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. No one is exempt from receiving God's broad goodness that he likes to that he wants to give to us. And God's word also showcases this overwhelming nature of God's goodness in the way that it simply does not compare with our own level of how we understand goodness as human beings. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives this very humorous comparison. He's talking to parents here. He said, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Merry Christmas. No. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? God's goodness does not compare with our own. So God's word clearly lays out and it describes for us the fact that God is good, that his actions are good, that his character is good. Everything he does is good. That's a great thing. But there's even another layer to this. That God's goodness to us even exudes and it comes into the fact of how we are good to each other. Let's think about this, the goodness of God shows up and is the baseline of all the goodness in the world. So if you and I are good to each other, like that's only because of God's goodness, that's what makes it possible. Protestant reformer William Tyndale, he put it this way, he said, God's goodness is the root of all goodness and our goodness, if we have any, springs out of his goodness. And so the goodness of God is on full display all around us. It's given and revealed to us. It's shown in us and through us. And so this morning, we're going to look at three very brief ways. We're going to kind of break this idea down into the following subcategories. We're going to look at God's goodness that we can see, God's goodness that we might not be able to see but still experience, and then ultimately God's goodness shown to us in Christ. And so we'll begin with the first one, the goodness of God that we can see, and, and, and this is that aspect of God's goodness, that really tangible, noticeable way that you instantly just kind of can attribute to him. It's, it's that moment where maybe you wake up in the morning after a full night of sleep, and you, and you see that the sun is shining through the curtains, and you can hear the birds singing in the background, and you just kind of smile and thank God for a new day, and the beauty of the day. Has that ever happened to you? You just immediately attribute that, like, this is good. Thanks, God. We can see it. We can experience it. Or when you're at a holiday or some family reunion and you've got your extended family in the room, you've got a table full of really good food and you just look around at the generations and you just feel this immense satisfaction and happiness and joy that's somehow just welling up inside of you and you realize, wow, this is good. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. We have those moments and and, and, and probably the best word to describe those moments, to describe God's incredible goodness to us is that it's a gift. God's goodness is evident in those everyday moments, both simple and profound. His goodness comes in the way that he promises to meet our everyday daily bread needs. It comes to us in the homes that we live in, the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the cars that we drive. It comes to us in the jobs and the schools that we attend. It comes in the joy of being with our family and friends. It doesn't take much to see evidence of God's Goodness all around us. It's plain to see. The question probably becomes is, do we notice it? Do we notice it? And if I'm honest, I don't all the time. And I'm sure you don't either. The Apostle James reminds us of the magnitude of God's goodness all around us and and the fact that it's on display. He goes so far as to say in James 1, whatever is good and perfect is a gift. There's that word again. Coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all of the lights in the heavens. And so simply put, what James is saying here is that anything that you would describe in your life as being good, like, oh, this is good, then it's a gift directly to you from God. He is the source of all goodness. So that's our first category, the goodness of God that we can see. But now we come into another second category of God's goodness. We're we're aware that God's goodness is happening all around us. It's taking place all the time. We're recipients of it. That's his promise to us. That's his guarantee. But sometimes God's goodness comes to us in ways that are difficult or sometimes even impossible to see. Ways that we aren't always aware of it, but we're still receiving it. Sometimes you've gone through periods like this or have examples of this, I'm sure, where God's goodness can almost seem hidden. Or it can seem absent or sometimes we get this perspective later in life that helps us to see his goodness where we didn't experience it or catch it the first time. And one of the ways that I think God does this is through his sovereignty and his protection. We know What we know of God, we know that he sees and knows all things and so he is able to move and operate in ways to protect us and to keep us from harm in ways that are way beyond our own awareness or our ability detect. And I think one of the most common ways that happens is in those moments that just kind of inexplicably show up in your life that kind of disrupt your timing or they upset the flow of how you want things to be done. And so most of the time we get upset or we get stressed or frustrated and we don't really consider this other path of God's goodness showing up in this moment. I, I read an example of this Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I read this, there was a couple who was exploring the west coast of the United States on their honeymoon, and they had planned to get up really early so that they could make it to the spot that they wanted for this perfect time hike and catch some sunset photos, and it was going to be great. Well, uh, like people can tend to do, they slept through or overslept their alarm. Somebody forgot to set it. Somebody hit snooze too many times. Uh, The honeymoon was over. There was an argument, right? And they're on each other like, oh, you did it. And now they're scrambling to pack and they're realizing, oh, we're in a mess. We're never going to make it. there on time. We're missing our perfect opportunity. This whole day is ruined. They haven't had their coffee yet. Some of you know what this is like, right? And it doesn't even have to be your honeymoon, right? And so uh, they're rushing. They're stressed. One of them gets a text asking if they're okay, Well, depends on how you define okay. I mean, yes, we're fine. Why? And it was the mom of the wife, and she had been watching the news in that area, and she heard of this giant landslide that had completely wiped out the road, the very same road that they were going to be traveling on, had they been on time. And so, thankfully, in this accident, no one was injured, but this couple looked at each other and were like, "Uh, we would have been on that road. I mean, who knows what would have happened ultimately, but perhaps, right, this oversleeping of our alarm thing turned out okay in the end. Coincidence? Eh, maybe. Unforeseen goodness? Absolutely. Absolutely. God's ability to provide and protect in ways that we cannot see, that we could have never imagined, happens all the time. One very familiar and, uh, and famous example of this in God's Word comes from a man named Joseph. And we studied him a few years ago together. Perhaps you remember he was the spoiled favorite youngest son. Joseph had all these jealous older brothers, they were so sick of him, they got so sick of him to the point that they thought of killing him, instead they ended up selling him off as a slave to Egypt. And so Joseph was taken away from his family, he was taken to Egypt as a slave, he was falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit, he was thrown into prison and he was forgotten about for years. Sounds good. Not talk about a series of really unfortunate and frustrating and confusing events. And during that time, we are told that God was still faithful to Joseph. He was still providing for him and taking care of him. And Joseph is eventually released from prison. He is made Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's the second in command of the entire country of Egypt. And we know and are told that through Joseph's economic framework that he designs, Egypt and the surrounding nations are saved from this incredible famine that just wiped out the entire Area And it's because he had been in this position that God had put him in. We continue in Joseph's story. We know that Joseph sees his brothers again. The very same ones that had thrown him in the pit, that had sold him off as a slave, they come because they're in search of food. And they meet Joseph. And after several meetings with Joseph, Joseph finally reveals who he is to them. And the brothers are shocked and they are scared. They're like, all right, we're getting it now. This is what we deserve But Joseph had gained perspective. We're told that during these last decades of his life, Joseph had been able to look back and he had seen, he he saw very clearly where he had been and he also saw very clearly where he is now and how God had orchestrated all of it for his grander purpose and for the good of Joseph, for the good of his family and the good of the entire world. And so in Genesis 50, Joseph is able to tell his brothers, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So God's unforeseen goodness in action. Joseph could not see this then. If you had asked him 10, 15 years ago before this point, because everything in Joseph's life seemed to be the opposite of good. But God was bringing everything together for a greater good that no one could see in that moment, but was finally realized in this one. And so what are... For you, what are some of those unforeseen acts of goodness that are happening in your life? Maybe you don't have an example just like this couple on their honeymoon or Joseph, but maybe you can look back and think of times like this where, ah, that was God's goodness to me and I wasn't necessarily seeing it in that time. On the side, I think that's maybe sometimes where we get a little confused. We so often want to define goodness or we expect goodness as it pertains to how we would define it or want it like well this will be good for me and and, and i'm not doubting that but people can get so stuck on okay if good things aren't happening to me or if i can't see goodness evident in my life then that must mean that god isn't there or that i am somehow uh, outside of his ability to show me any goodness and god's goodness does not operate like that that's not how it works And so when we are stuck in those moments of thinking, well, if goodness isn't happening, if I don't see that, or if it's not happening the way I want it to, then something must be wrong. We need to shake that thinking because God's goodness is still happening all around us even if we can't always see it. And so we recognize that God's goodness is both visible and it's invisible, but it's always present. We recognize that God's perfect goodness describes his character and his intentional care for each of us. And God ultimately shows us his goodness as his proof through his son, Jesus Christ. God's extreme best example of how good he is is shown up to us at the cross. The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians 1 in describing Jesus as God's ultimate example of his goodness to us. In Colossians 1 verses 19 through 22, Paul writes, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by, God's, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Paul's saying a lot there. Paul's saying that all of God's goodness, all of who he is, is perfectly housed and personified in Jesus. And so Jesus, being the fullness of God, being full of God's goodness, was able to make us right with God. And he was able to give us all of God's goodness of love and grace and mercy to you and me completely undeservedly. So think about this. God gave his ultimate goodness to us through what Jesus has done for you. And he gave you this goodness in spite of your badness. Think about that. If you were to give an honest assessment of your goodness, we'll start there. And then you were to give an honest assessment of your badness. I don't know about you, but my badness would greatly outweigh my goodness. It wouldn't even be close. And yet, God's goodness to me and his goodness to you is so great that it covers over your badness, it's greater. Your badness and my badness will never outweigh the goodness that God has given to you and desires to give you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that you and I, we were distanced from God. We were literally his enemies because of our evil or our bad behavior. But now, through his goodness, he has made us right with him. And now, he sees you as holy and pure and free with no accusation against you. That does not sound like me at all yet that's who I am in Christ. Now even knowing this, even knowing all of these things, there are times, you've gone through seasons like this, I have as well, you've gone through seasons where you find yourself maybe doubting or questioning God's goodness. We mentioned this a little earlier. And this isn't like those times where we know it's there and we just can't see it. These are the times where we think it's just utter, utterly exempt or absent. Maybe it's something like your family has gone through a really challenging time or there's been a, a deep tragedy that you've experienced, some loss. Maybe you look at the world around you and you find yourself just despairing. You're like, where is the goodness? It's hard to see. Or you wonder, well, if God is good, then how could all of this be happening? Because so many of the things that we can see or experience or read about just aren't good. And I'm not here to offer an explanation or that, that would take way too long than what we have. And I wouldn't do a good job. I'm not here to offer an explanation. I'm, I'm only here to say that I want to acknowledge that those things are real, that you can feel that way, that I have felt that way. There are times where you can doubt and question God, God's goodness, but God's ultimate thing that he has to say about it, his ultimate reminder has always been and always will be The cross. So if you find yourself doubting or questioning God's goodness to you, he invites you to look at the cross. If you find yourself looking at the brokenness of life and just despairing that there is no solution to this, God invites you to look at the cross. And if you find yourself absolutely broken by the extent of your badness, God invites you to look to the cross and see his goodness to you and to me takes us back to our text this morning. David's reminder, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. It's his promise to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us see your goodness, that we would see and taste and know and experience all of your goodness to us. We see it evidenced every day, the gift of a new day, the gift of family and friends, of of life, the things that you give us. They are from your goodness, your storehouse of goodness. The ways that we are good to each other, that others are good to us, it's because you are good first. Lord, we also are aware that your goodness is happening in spite of who we are and in spite of what we can see and experience. And so, Lord, help us to see those glimpses in the times where we might question or doubt or wonder. Help us to see your goodness evidenced in our life. And ultimately, we thank you for your incredible act of goodness that you've given and shown to us in sending your Son to die in our place, to take our badness and and give us your goodness so that we can live and experience and taste and know this promise that you have and invite us to live in and walk in. Thank you for the gift of being together this morning. Thank you for the gift of looking at your word. In your name I pray, amen. I hear these words, this blessing, this benediction to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace and show you his goodness.